Today on the Craft Room Podcast, let's talk about crafting New Year's resolutions. This is episode 32. Welcome to the Craft Room Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Lewis, professional crafter, craft teacher, and all-round craft enthusiast. This podcast will help you get great value from your craft supplies and perhaps help you discover new techniques, ideas, and products to take your crafting to the next level. There is so much craft to talk about, so let's dive right in. Hello and welcome to the Craft Room Podcast. I know it's been a while and you may already by the title be thinking, Dawn, are you feeling okay? Why are we talking about New Year's resolutions? It is the end of May. What is going on? Well, I was thinking a little bit about New Year's resolutions and realised that mine was to put out a new podcast episode every month of 2022. And yet, here we are at the end of May and this is my first one. But here's the thing about New Year's resolutions. The 1st of January is not the only day of the year that you can start them. This train of thought had me trying to figure out why I haven't done it and maybe how I could have set myself up to succeed with this goal. So today we are talking about New Year's crafting resolutions. We've all made resolutions and usually we make the same ones every year, but I'm talking about those crafting ones. What I've discovered during my contemplation about how I got five months into the year before starting my own New Year goal is that we really do need to take steps to set ourselves up to succeed at this awesome goal that we're setting for ourselves. It doesn't matter what craft you're doing whether the project is big or small, there are things we can do to make sure that we get it done and get it done the way that we want. The three main things that we can concentrate on are planning, preparation and budgeting. When I was listening to the Organised 365 podcast, it was a few years ago, Lisa Woodruff spoke of a study that showed that for every minute you spend in planning, you can save three minutes in execution. Now, I haven't read that study, but I 100% believe this to be true. Any time I sit down spontaneously to start a new project, I inevitably waste a huge amount of time retrieving the things I need from all corners of the house. If I had just spent five minutes in planning, I could save myself 15 minutes of getting up and down from my seat, searching for the things I need, and thereby I could get to the stuff much faster. If a planning session gives me more time for crafting, I am here for that. Although, truth be told, I thoroughly enjoy the planning part of any project. It just makes my brain happy. Taking notes, maybe doing a little math. Planning is that stage where you decide what the project is, how big it's going to be, what materials you're going to use, which pattern to choose, or if you're creating your own pattern, giving that some thought and sketching things out, etc. The planning is the phase where we start to pull everything together and figure out what we need for the project. Preparation, well, that's a little more hands-on. It may be doing some more calculations, shopping for supplies, and we know that's the fun part. Cutting things to size, pre-washing fabrics, choosing colours, that kind of thing. Preparation is more doing than thinking. And when I say budgeting, of course, our minds initially go to money. And yes, that is important. In the planning phase, you can incorporate some budgeting so that you can figure out if this project is going to fit within your current financial constraints. So budgeting for money is a really good idea. And it's especially a great idea right at the beginning because you don't want to get halfway through a project and realize this is going to cost way more than you can afford and then deal with the guilt of either putting a project on hold or letting someone down. 
or spending too much money. But there are some other things that we need to budget. Especially when we say New Year's resolution, that means it's usually kind of a big project. So it's a really good idea to budget your time. As much as we ask ourselves, where's the money going to come from for this project? We also need to consider where the time is going to come from for this project. If you are retired, if you have kids at school, which leads to loads of time on your hands, this is kind of a no-brainer. You've got it and you know where your time is going to come from. But if you're in a phase of life where the demands on your time are really high, leaving you quite time poor, then you have to ask yourself, well, I have this thing I would like to make, do, achieve, but where am I going to find the time to do that? For me, that is the question I should have asked myself in January and I had to ask myself now. I hadn't considered when I made this big goal at the beginning of the year where I was going to find the time to record all these podcast episodes. It's not as simple for me as just sitting down and talking. Although anyone who knows me really well knows that I certainly can do that. Just because for a podcast, I have a tendency to waffle. And when I present a podcast episode to you, I prefer to be concise, which means making a draft recording, transcribing it, tweaking that into a script, and then re-recording the episode. That can take two to three days. And I hadn't factored that time in during a phase of my life where I am quite time poor. Thankfully, I have found a great podcasting life hack that's working for me. And now I draft and refine podcast episodes while I'm walking laps at the local heated pool twice a week, which is how I came up with this episode. So when you consider budgeting your time, decide if you're going to sacrifice time spent on one thing so that you can spend that time achieving your crafting goal. Another thing you may need to budget is space in your home. Sometimes these big projects need a lot of space and it depends how long you're going to need to work on it. For example, if your goal is to finish that cute cross-stitch kit that you bought at Supernova last year from Fangirl Stitches, which, okay, that's one of my personal goals, then that's not going to take up a lot of space. The pattern, the hoop with the fabric, threads, scissors and tapestry needle, they fit neatly into a zipper pouch which sits on my grab and go shelf so that I can take it with me when I know I'm going to be sitting around waiting somewhere for a long time or I can grab it to work on in front of the television at night. But if you are making something really big then you'll need to figure out where you're going to find that space in your home. Does it need to stay set up all the time until it's finished? Is it one of those things that you can quickly set up and then quickly pack away when you're done working on it? You don't need to think about it for too long, but giving it a little thought can save you some stress later on. The last thing you may need to budget is your energy. Not everyone will need to do this, but if you are a spoonie, then you know what I mean. Chronic illness, chronic pain, disability, fatigue, PTSD, illness, injury, or just existing as someone who is overstretched and just tired all the time can be exhausting. And if that's you, then you may need to budget your energy. If you're struggling with your mental health and the project is demanding, you may need to budget your emotional energy. Regardless of whether you're budgeting your money, time, space or energy, knowing how you function, your optimal times of day and being kind to yourself throughout the process can be incredibly helpful. Look, personally, I would love to be neat and tidy with a place for everything and everything in its place. And frankly, I think my husband would love that even more than me. But I know myself pretty well and my workspace is always a mess. 
everything is out because out of sight is truly out of mind for me. If I pack a project away, then I forget it exists. And knowing this about myself and more importantly, accepting this about myself has made a big difference in how I approach a project. I no longer put pressure on myself to pack up in the middle of a project because if I see it, I'll work on it. I also know that really big projects are best done when I have large chunks of time to work uninterrupted. Honestly, this is a major reason that I still haven't finished that damn Mario quilt. I packed it away when I got home from that quilting retreat in 2019 and I haven't touched it since. Knowing yourself helps you to set realistic goals and expectations as you budget your money, your time, your space and your energy. To give you a practical application of planning, preparation and budgeting, I'm going to use my next big project as an example. For that quilting retreat that I just mentioned, I was 100% convinced I was going to finish the Mario quilt and had I not made a critical error on the first day, it would be done. So I took a backup project. My reasoning was that if I finished my project halfway through the weekend, we weren't near any shops and I would waste precious sewing time. So I planned and prepped my backup project, the Minecraft quilt. You may think that I've had enough of pixel quilts, but that's, that's simply not true. I really love making them. So let me walk you as briefly as I possibly can through my planning, budgeting and preparation of this backup project. I present to you the Minecraft quilt. So for this Minecraft quilt, I would start with planning. First thing I need to do is find the pattern online. And if this interests you, I'll save you the trouble. You can find a link to it in the show notes or over on my blog. Then I have to decide what size will my quilt be? How many blocks am I going to need for that quilt size? And then which blocks am I going to use? I have to print the patterns for the blocks that I'm going to use. I also have to decide if I love more blocks than I have space, will I make it double-sided or will it be single-sided? What size are the blocks going to be? And then therefore, what size will each finished square need to be in that block? Then I have to figure out what size I need to cut my squares, which means adding a half inch seam allowance to the square size. So if I want a two inch finished square, I need to cut two and a half inch squares. Will it be sashed? Am I going to do quilt as you go? Am I going to quilt it myself or will I send it to money, my long arm quilter? How many squares of each color do I need for each block? For example, the chicken block, it's mostly white with a few squares of black, yellow and red. But how many white squares? How many red? How many yellow? How many black? And then I need to repeat that for every other block. Once I've done that, I need to figure out how many squares of each colour I need for the entire quilt. And what kind of fabric am I going to use? Once I've decided that and done those calculations, I need to figure out how many squares I can get across the width of my fabric. Therefore, figure out how much of each colour I need to buy. How much fabric am I going to need for the sashing? How much will I need for the binding? What am I going to do for backing? Is it going to be double-sided with fun pixel blocks on both sides? Or will I use a Minecraft print or make a gigantic blocked Steve? Who knows? I have to make that decision. How much fabric will I need? And how much wadding will I need? Am I going to sew all of those squares together individually? Or will I use the interfacing technique? If I use interfacing, and let's face it, I'm going to, I love that technique. If I'm spending that much time on a quilt, those corners are going to match. How big do my interfacing backings need to be? And how many of those can I get across the width of the interfacing? 
Am I going to use pre-printed grid interfacing? Am I going to draw a grid on every piece of interfacing with a Sharpie? Or will I create a big cardboard template that I draw up once, place underneath the interfacing when I'm ironing on squares? This brings me very nicely into a little bit of budgeting because now I know how much fabric I need. How much is that going to cost? Can I shop my own stash to bring down cost? This is also the time I would consult my long arm quilter about the price for quilting and get an expiration date on that quote because I think we all know this is going to take me a long time. And can I make any changes right now to make that more affordable if it doesn't meet my budget? From here, I'm going to move into preparation, more hands-on. Buy my fabric. Um, you can pre-wash and iron your fabric if you're into that. I am not. Uh, cut all the squares, bag all the squares, a Ziploc bag for every different colour, and put a code on the bag that corresponds to the pattern. Cut up the interfacing into its big squares, and then cut, I would cut the binding, join all those pieces, and store that on a card or on a sashing bobbin. This is all of the things that I would do before I start, before I sew a single stitch. And I do this because once I have a window where I know I can start sewing that project, I know I won't be distracted. All the calculations, the shopping and the prep have been done. I'm not going to run out of squares. I won't run out of fabric and find myself unable to match colours, which will give me a beautifully cohesive look to my finished quilt. It might sound like a lot of work, but in reality, I did all of that planning and budgeting in about an hour, maybe an hour and a half one evening. I bought the fabric the next day. And while I'm yet to do the cutting, I know from experience that that will probably take me the best part of a day to get it done. Now, obviously, your crafting project is probably going to be very different to mine. I have noticed, though, that when it comes to making New Year's resolutions of the crafting variety, they tend to fall into a few different categories. So let's go through them, looking at some fun project examples and talk about some ways that we can plan and prepare, setting ourselves up for a successful outcome. Let's start with one of my favourites. I call it the Daily Do. This is one of those projects where you plan to do this craft 365 days of the year, unless it's a leap year and then you're going to do 366. A popular one is Project 365, which started as a prompt for photographers and became a really popular scrapbooking trend. I remember when Becky Higgins brought out her first Project 365 kit in 2008 and then in 2010, the Project Life brand was born and it grew in popularity and recently it expanded into a digital and even an app form. Now, I loved the concept straight away, but at the time, I'd already transitioned from traditional paper to digital scrapbooking. At first, I thought this would be a good way to use up some of my scrapbooking supplies, as well as documenting what life was like for our family on a day-to-day -day basis. I also thought it might motivate us to go do some interesting things if I was documenting them, which we did. However, in the planning process, I looked at the prices and I realised straight away, just the page protectors alone were out of my budget, let alone all of those gorgeous cards. Had I started this project with no planning or budgeting, I would quickly have had to abandon it as it just wasn't compatible with my craft budget at the time. So I weighed my options. I could just not do it. I could attempt it on 12 by 12 papers and I knew I was done with paper scrapbooking, so that was out. Or I could attempt a digital version of my own making because the app and the digital didn't exist back then. 
I opted for digital creation and I turned it into a physical album. So how I did this, I spent that delicious week between Christmas and New Year, you know the one, when you stay in the nice cool air conditioning, you have no idea what day it is and you're eating Christmas leftovers. I spent that time planning and preparing all of my files for my first Project 365 album. I designed the layout, I made a template, I chose a digital scrapbooking kit, I filled a 12 by 12 album from my stash with extra page protectors and I set up 365 files on my computer ready to go, one for every day. This process took me about two days, uh, not two solid days, but working around the family and the kids and you know just doing it during the day. And by doing so much of the prep in advance, literally all that was left for me to do, all that was left for me to succeed was to turn on the computer, drop in a photo, type some text, flatten the file, save it for printing. That's it. If I'd had to create every entry from scratch every day, and I wouldn't have been able to create three and a half albums for a Project 365. All that was left for me to do once I had done that computer work was to periodically move that folder onto a thumb drive, take it down to domain, have the photos printed, and then when I got home, ship them into a file called Already Printed. So I didn't have any double ups. I stuck to budget by utilising free coupons that they used to have. You could get two free 6x8 prints. So before I went, I would take two of my 6x4 files, throw them into a 6x8. And I got four days of my album printed for free, which was pretty great. I also put them in for printing one day and then picked them up another day because that was cheaper than same day printing. And I also watched for times when they had photo prints on special. When I picked up my prints, I could trim them down to size and add them to the album at my leisure. If you're thinking that this sounds like a fun project and that you would like to attempt it, but maybe you're not quite sure where to start with the digital thing or you don't have Photoshop, then I would encourage you to check out my Creative Fabrica fans group. Members there have access to digital craft tutorials and the next tutorial will include templates and instructions for Project 365 to fit a 12 by 12 album. At $5 per month, you will have access to the full catalogue of exclusive tutorials. You just won't find them anywhere else. I will link to the membership in the show notes and over on the blog. You may have spotted earlier that I said I did this project successfully for three and a half years, but may be wondering exactly how a half year is successful completion of a project. Well, on that fourth year, it got to about mid-June and I was just done. I let one day slip, then a week, then it was July, then it was August, and I I really agonised over whether I should try to go back and fill in the missing months, even though I knew in my heart I was over it and I would never finish that fourth year. I had achieved everything I wanted to. I was really proud of myself for finishing so many complete albums. I didn't abandon scrapbooking altogether. I just didn't want to do it every day. So I transitioned to creating an eight inch by eight inch photo book for each year, which I loved because they were really quick to do, quite inexpensive, and they take up very little space on my bookshelf. If it falls apart, I can have another one printed. The hardest part was figuring out what to do with the six months worth of already printed entries for that album. I'm going to tell you something now that took me years to figure out. It's okay to abandon a project and I am now 100% at peace with that decision. A six month album is better than no album at all. And so I have a half year album. 
Now, of course, a photo album isn't the only kind of daily project you can do. Another fun option I've been seeing a lot over the past couple of years is a Celsius blanket. I've also seen it done as a scarf. I even saw someone on TikTok doing a Celsius cross stitch in a hoop, which is a much smaller project, and it looked amazing. The point of a Celsius blanket is to knit or crochet a row each day in a yarn colour that corresponds to the temperature for the day. Once again, to succeed at this, some planning and preparation will help a lot. Questions, you need to make decisions. What temperature will you record? Where will you get that information? Get a rough idea of the highest and lowest temperatures you might need to record and figure out if you'll have a different colour for every number or for brackets like from 10 to 15 degrees, 15 to 20 degrees. How big will your blanket be? How much yarn are you going to need? How many colours will you need? Usually blue stands for the cooler weather and warm tones for the warmer weather. Make your key and perhaps consider creating a patch for the blanket with an explanation of the project and which temperature each colour represents just to go with it. I know someone who also makes a card every day. Now, I don't know if she actually makes one every day or whether she makes a batch in one sitting and then posts a photo every day. But either way, it's impressive. She will never be in want of a birthday card, a thank you card, a sympathy card, and her work is absolutely adorable. I would love to do that. When you choose a daily project, it's a good idea to have a notebook just in case you can't get to the project some days. Then you can record the memories, the temperature, etc., and then catch up when you have time. It doesn't have to be a fancy planner or a special themed book. Let's be real, we all have a spare notebook or five or ten at home. So let's put one to work helping us create something beautiful. For example, when I was doing the Project 365 album, I wound up in hospital with pneumonia for four days. Obviously, I couldn't work on it in hospital. I wasn't well enough and I didn't have a laptop. I couldn't take photos for those days. So I had my husband bring me a notebook and pen and I just jotted some things down. I had him and the kids tell me what was happening at home when they came to visit. I filled in the photos with a picture of an ambulance on one day, a picture I took of our local hospital on another day. I used some stock photos for medical staff and for the ambulance. And I took a picture of the book that my mother bought me to read while I was in there. Sometimes life will throw you a curveball. If you have a plan B in place to deal with it, it doesn't have to derail your project. Regardless of what your project is, if you're doing a daily craft, spend a little time making it as easy as possible for you to do that project daily. The next one is what I like to call the PhD. PhD stands for Projects Half Done, also known as UFOs, Unfinished Objects. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the odds are pretty high that you have at least one project that's not quite finished. Maybe your goal this year is to finish those projects that have been niggling at the back of your mind so you can check them off and make some space for something exciting and new. A great thing to do here is pull those projects out. Maybe, maybe not all at once, depending on how many you have. Take some time to have a look at what you have and do an assessment of each one. Do you have everything you need to complete the project? Is it still a viable project? One year, my project was to do all of the mending in my mending pile. When I pulled it out to assess it, turned out I had procrastinated on it for so long that both of my kids had grown out of all of the clothes. So I bagged them and donated them. Doing that assessment first means that you're going to find the projects you want to finish, weed out the projects you no longer care about or that are no longer relevant. Just like with my Project 365 in year four, 
Maybe you're just done with that project, which could be for a variety of reasons. And there are places where you can donate those unwanted PhDs. I donated several when I had a professional organiser come in a few years ago. She took all of my unwanted craft supplies to uh, achieve. I will link to them in the show notes and over on the blog as well. That included a cross stitch that I knew I would never complete. I had been working on it during an incredibly stressful time in my life. It kept my hands busy and it helped the days move by really quickly, gave me something to focus on that wasn't the problems at hand. But any time I tried to complete it, it just brought back a flood of memories and I, I couldn't bear to put another stitch in it. I didn't know I was allowed to let it go. And when I did, man, it was such a relief. So just in case you're hanging on to a craft project or supplies that no longer serve you or interest you, something that brings painful memories or simply bores you to tears, you have my permission to let it go. I bagged up that cross stitch with the pattern and I sent it away and the relief was instant. Maybe someone finished it. Maybe someone pulled out all of the threads to use that perfectly good piece of fabric. I'll never know. But it was the right thing for me to do and I hope it brings someone else the joy that it just couldn't bring me. I'm going to repeat that just in case you can't believe I said it. A little louder for the people up the back. You are 100% allowed to abandon an unfinished project. There is no law that says you must finish every craft project you start. Of course, there are a few exceptions to that rule. If you're being paid to do a project or if you're contracted in some way, you kind of need to finish it. When I consulted for Brandcorp, one of my jobs was creating worked models for cross-stitch kits. I was the person who figured out how much thread needed to go in the kit. I picked up any errors in the patterns. Some of those projects were really fun. A couple of them were incredibly boring. And there was one that was just not to my personal taste, but I was contracted to do them. So that was a circumstance where I couldn't just walk away from a project and abandon it. It's the same thing if you're on a design team. In that case, I, I found the best thing to do was just get it done as quickly as possible so that I could move on to the next project. But if you are the only person that this project impacts, then you're the only person who can decide whether you are going to complete it or not. And you can abandon it if you want to. So when you've done your assessment and decided which projects you'd like to work on, it can be helpful to do a little hands-on preparation work. For example, if it's a quilt, make sure you have the fabric, the pattern, everything you need all together. Maybe bag it, pop it in a tub. You'll likely have an idea of how long it's going to take and don't lie to yourself here. Be realistic. So make a note about the project, how long you think you need to work on it and pin or tape that to the outside of the bag or the tub. That way, when you have some time to work on a project, maybe over a weekend, uh, you have an unexpected day to yourself, you take some vacation time, you can pull one out that's going to fit with the time that you have available. Maybe you don't have any PhDs, but you might have use for the next category. And I call that one the stash buster. Now, I'm a big fan of the Stash Buster. I've had this goal personally for many years. The Stash Buster is when you look at all the really cool supplies that you have in your crafting cabinet, room, cupboard, box, whatever you have. And you think to yourself, wow, that's a lot of stuff I have here. Uh, the Stash Buster usually comes about when we realize how much we have accumulated in the way of craft supplies. And it's probably time to use the cool things that we already have. Sometimes the stash buster becomes a bit of a necessity. Maybe you're thinking about downsizing and you know that your craft supply is going to have to be included in that downsize. If you don't want to de-stash and sell things off, 
then make plans to use what you have. Maybe you're just running out of space or you're low on funds. Whatever your reason, the stash buster is a brilliant idea. I fully endorse it and I highly recommend it. A few years back, this was a goal I set for myself, particularly in my paper crafting, using only leftovers from previous projects before I cut into any new sheets of cardstock or paper. I started with a small pile of leftovers that was on my desk. I'm not kidding when I say after a year, I still wasn't done with that very small pile of paper and cardstock. Clearly, I was not spending enough time making cards. Last year, I pulled five sheets of plain cardstock from a pad of warm tone coloured card, you know, yellow, pinks, oranges, reds. I just pulled one sheet in each colour, five colours, and I have made literally dozens of cards using just those five sheets, just letter-sized sheets. I've done die cutting and background strips and all sorts of bits and pieces, and I have only just used up the last of the scraps. I am Gen X. I have a sizable craft stash. And probably more than the average crafter because I work in the industry. There is a reason that I believe in using all those gorgeous craft supplies. And that is because I've had the unfortunate experience of sorting out someone else's craft stash after they passed away. We used to craft together a lot and her husband asked me if I could look after the sorting out of her stash. And it was heartbreaking all over again to find pieces. I, I remembered her buying when we were on a shopping trip together. She made plans for what she was going to use those supplies for. She never got to use them. Instead, I packed them up and I sold them so that her husband would have the money and it freed up space in his home. It was rough. I'm not going to lie. That was really rough. Remember how Toy Story taught us that toys are supposed to be played with? Well, this experience really drove home for me that craft supplies are also meant to be played with. I know there's a meme doing the rounds right now that says I firmly believe that buying craft supplies and using craft supplies are two different hobbies. And I know that to an extent that has become true for some folks. But I implore you to use those very awesome craft supplies in your stash because I know you have great taste and you're going to have a great time when you use them. I used to save certain scrapbooking papers because I just didn't want to part with them. Then I had an epiphany. If I used them in my scrapbooking albums, I could keep the albums and therefore keep the paper. I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out. And I'm embarrassed to say exactly how many years that was. Needless to say, I'm glad I figured that out. And I hope that my experience helps somebody else. Now, it may come as no surprise that the stash buster often goes hand in hand with our next category, and that is the no spend. The no spend is sometimes born from financial necessity and other times it's just a personal challenge. I've seen people have a no spend month and others have a no spend year. Essentially, the goal is zero dollars spent on craft stuff. There are a few items that I, I would say you should be allowed to purchase during a no spend period. And those would be consumables, things like adhesives, sewing thread, replacement sewing needles, things that you actually need so that you can use what's in your craft stash. If you've got a broken crochet hook, yes, buy a new one because you can't use up the yarn unless you have the hook, right? Exceptions to this rule, they'll usually revolve around items you need over items you want. However, we all know sometimes a little retail therapy can be good for us. So my workaround, when someone asks, what do you want for your birthday or for Christmas? Give them a link to your favorite craft store. Tell them you want a gift voucher. Birthday money and gift vouchers aren't technically spending money out of your budget. They are a gift and therefore 
use them for your want items. Side note, if stamping, card making and colouring are your cup of tea, you know I have gift vouchers, right? I will link to them in the show notes and over on the blog as well. Look, whether you're on a no spend because money is tight, someone's lost their job, you've got an unexpected expense or you're saving for something special, if you have a stash, get in there and get creative. Next, let's talk about the new craft on the block. This is where you decide, this year I want to learn a new skill, a new technique, or maybe a whole new craft. I've always wanted to have a go at needle felting, but I just haven't done it yet. Because goodness knows I have a large enough stash already without diving into another craft. For example, card making. Maybe you're new to the craft. Maybe you're picking it back up after a long hiatus. Or maybe you're just bored with using the same old techniques over and over. You want to learn a few new skills. If that's the case, first thing, I would recommend pretty much choosing any Jennifer Maguire video on YouTube and giving that a go. Maybe you want to learn how to use Copic markers. Also, side note, I can help you with that via the Copic subscription box as well. You'll find that link in the show notes. Maybe this is the year you're going to watch a lot of how-to videos on YouTube. Maybe you'll attend a class or two or do a course to learn how to make bespoke leather shoes or custom jewellery or do some resin pouring. Maybe you want to learn stained glass windows or carpentry or pottery, something big like that. Or maybe you just want to master a cable knit design. Sometimes it is really fun to learn a new craft. This leads us nicely to the next category. I call that the challenge. There are all sorts of different challenges that we can participate in. Some are designed for artists like Mermaid, where you create mermaid-themed projects every day during the month of May, or Inktober. Sure, it was designed for artists, but card makers can get inky too. Perhaps you want to take part in some blog challenges. Lawn Fawn and Kindred Stamps have some great blog challenges each month, as do many other craft companies and design teams. Sometimes there are prizes, and that's a great bonus. Perhaps you want to set your own personal challenge, like working on a cross-stitch every day until it's done. Maybe a CAL, a CAL, standing for Craft Along or Crochet Along. I took part in my first crochet along last year. Absolutely loved it. A part of the pattern was released each week. And yes, while I fell behind and I didn't finish with everybody else, I did get that gorgeous blanket finish and I gifted it to my mum for Christmas. Helen Shrimpton has a bunch of cows. Uh, Patterns are free and there are usually YouTube videos that you can work along to, which is my preferred method of working on her amazing creations. I'm on my third crochet along and I have not only learned loads of new crochet stitches that I never even knew existed, but I've used up some of my yarn stash. Okay, fine. I used it as an excuse to buy a little more yarn, but it was for a specific project rather than just pointless stash additions. I will link to Helen's website and pop some photos of my finished projects over on the blog, as well as linking to a couple of her craft alongs. Some sort of challenge may be just what you need to spice up your crafting this year. The last one I have is the mega project. This is one of those really big projects that's going to take you the whole year. It often has a Christmas gift deadline sort of vibe, but it could also be making things for an upcoming wedding, a special big O birthday party. Maybe it's just a big project you've always wanted to do. Maybe you're going to make over your entire house, dragging it kicking and screaming into the 21st century as you update curtains and quilt covers, put a mural on the wall, maybe turn your hand to some carpentry or DIY renovations. Whatever your big project is, Planning, budgeting and preparation will surely help. 
making sure you know what you're doing, have what you need and can get it all the way done instead of abandoning it halfway through. Maybe you've decided to make a quilt for all the grandkids for Christmas. Do your planning. How many kids? What size quilts? What's it going to cost? All those questions I ran through with the Minecraft quilt earlier will help you plan those projects out. It might also be helpful to get a big year calendar, like the whole year to put on a wall or a door. Because I can tell you from experience that as you mark off those days with a big red cross, you stay mindful of how much time until your deadline arrives, which can really help you get motivated to get that project done on time. Whichever type of New Year's crafting resolution you make for yourself, there are a few other things to keep in mind. We need to remember that life can throw us some pretty serious curveballs. And I think 2020 showed us that in quite spectacular fashion. So it's good to have a plan B and be flexible where possible. Maybe you could set up a craft planner. We talked about that in episode 20. I'll link to that one as well. So you can jot things down if you're thrown one of those curveballs. Maybe you spend four days in hospital with pneumonia. Maybe you catch COVID. Maybe you're looking after someone with COVID. It might just be a demand on your time that you were not expecting. It's okay to extend your deadline, especially if you are the one setting that deadline. I would also like to remind you yet again that it is okay to quit a project before it is complete. Now, I do think that it's nice to have a goal or at least an idea of what you want to get out of doing this project. It might be simple enjoyment, meditation or relaxation. Maybe you're making gifts. Maybe you want to upskill to start a business or move into the professional arena or become a designer. There is no rule that you have to have a goal, though, because craft is often its own reward. But think about the advantages to completing that task. And on the flip side, consider what will happen if you don't finish the project or make this thing or complete this task. Is anything bad going to happen if you don't hit that self-imposed deadline? If not, then be kind and gentle with yourself. Lastly, I would say this. It can be helpful to think about who, what, when, where, how and why. Who is overseeing this goal? Who is doing this with you? Having an accountability buddy for a firm deadline can be a very good idea. Who are you doing this for? What are you going to do? That's the exciting part, right? What are you going to make? Are you going to finish something or start something new? What are you going to do? When are you going to fit this into your schedule? Is this something that you can pick up and put down randomly or do you need a dedicated amount of time to work on it? Maybe look into a craft retreat or have your own craft retreat. I have some PhDs here that I'd really like to finish so I can just mentally check them off. So I've been chatting to my mum and we plan on going away for a few days to a nice beachfront house looking at the ocean, her favourite thing to do. And I'll take them with me. So I figure if that's the only thing I have to do, I'll get it done with the bonus of spending some quality time with my mum. Where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put it while you're working on it? And where are you going to put it when it's finished? Where are you going to sit while you're doing this? In a beautiful sunlit room, a quiet spare bedroom? Do you have a comfortable place to work? How are you going to do this? Make a plan. Have an idea of what's going to happen next. I'm a planning person, perhaps you've picked up on that. But if you're a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of person who loves to wing it and that works for you, don't let me stop you from doing you. Which techniques are you going to do? Are you going to try something new or are you going to pull out some old favourites? And how are you going to present this as a gift to the recipient? Why are you doing this? I mean, 
We all know that craft rocks. It's great for our mental health. It's good for our dexterity. It keeps our minds working and busy. It makes people happy. But why are you doing this project? Is it to challenge yourself, to pass some time, to be noticed by a brand that you love, to create a gift for someone made with love? Considering the answers to some of these questions can help guide us, keep us on track, or remind us that it doesn't matter if it's 1st of January or the end of May. It's always a good idea to craft. So I am curious to know, did you set a New Year's crafting resolution this year? If so, have you stuck to it? Have you finished it? Did you fall off the wagon? I mean, it's not too late to get back on, but do you even want to? I would love to know what some of your favourite New Year's crafting resolutions have been. You can head over to the blog at dawnlewis.com.au backslash podcast 32 and leave a comment to tell me about your favourite craft project that you did one year. I'm so happy to be back in front of the microphone again and I have more episodes planned for 2022. So I guess I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks so much for joining me in the craft room today. You can find links and other information about today's episode in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. I'd really appreciate that. I do hope you have a very crafty day and I will see you next time. Bye for now.